0: for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear.
1: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host Nick Bilton. So I have a very exciting guest today who is, uh, I've worked with for, for a number of years now, but has a new TV show coming out uh, based on a book that he wrote based on one of the most controversial news, uh, would you call them uh, stations? I guess. Uh, what, 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 what do you call this thing, Gabe? Fox. Uh, well
2: Fox News is a, I guess a cable news network is but what it's we would more call
1: of it. like a it's more of like a like an opinion thing i don't know
2: <laughs> let's it's yeah it's all one you know it's one giant you know propaganda machine that uh Roger Ailes uh created and um is the subject of our series
1: okay, so you have been writing about Roger Ailes for a very very long time. you wrote a book about him he had uh, private investigators following you around. Uh, and now, uh, you have, your book has been, uh, made into a a TV show that's coming out, uh, in a few weeks on Showtime, uh, which is a fantastic, amazing show, which I had the opportunity to watch some of it. Let's jump in, uh, and talk a little bit about, for, for the people who are, I'm sure, um, curious about all this stuff, about how you got into the story and then we'll kind of jump into the show and everything like that.
2: Yeah, of course, um, so I uh started covering Fox News and and Roger Ailes um around 2010 uh when I was a uh writer for New York Magazine uh at the time um and uh it was right um following uh Obama's 2008 election and the the Tea Party backlash was was really uh taking off and um I became fascinated by you know, the, the spread of um, conspiracy theories and kind of the mainstreaming of conspiracy theories that was, you know, taking hold uh, of the Republican Party. Um, and I had written a series of cover stories uh, for New York Magazine uh, about cable news, about Rupert Murdoch, and uh, all, you know, the stories sort of touched on Fox News, but didn't dive so deep into um, the, the sort of secret culture that Roger Ailes had built. And I, um, I talked to my book agent and I decided, you know, I said, listen, this is a great story here. This thing is a black box. You know, Jon Stewart and comedians and political commentators, everyone has an opinion about Fox News, but there's been, you know, not so much reporting about how it actually worked from the inside. And, uh, and so that was the, the basis of my book proposal um, that uh, Random House um, made, uh, you know, the best offer for. And um, I was off and running, and I started reporting in um, early 2011, and uh, the book was published uh, in 2014. Um, and, uh, you know, over that, th- that time, as you, had, you know, hinted at the top of the show here, um, you know, Roger Ailes became, you know, paranoid and obsessed with trying to stop – my book and it um became this, you know, really uh crazy cat and mouse game where he was, you know, hiring operatives to follow me and setting up websites to smear me in um you know, not so vaguely anti Semitic ways, uh was trying to paint me as uh, on the payroll of George Soros. And I, I joked to a Fox executive at the time, I said, you know, well, I live in a fourth floor walk up in Queens. So if George Soros was paying me, I got a pretty shitty deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you were reporting this, um, so you know, I've covered uh, a lot of big places that it's hard to get into. And I imagine Fox was one of those where you have kind of, kind of the people who work there believe in, believe in the system and the place of and, course, the, and the ideals. Yeah. Did you, were you compared to now where you know, Roger Ailes is dead, and Fox is kind of is the the known pariah, not the kind of unknown one as much as it was back then. Probably, is was it hard to get people to talk to you, or was it that
2: they're that that people thought, okay, this has gone too far, or this guy's a really bad guy, or? It was um, no, it was incredibly difficult, and um, you know, I started um, at uh, when I when I started the book, I focused on you know, the people that had worked with Ailes much earlier in his career. And I, you know, I sort of thought of the story as um, rings of concentric circles with, you know, the people who had known him, you know, farther in the past on the outer ring and, you know, moving in towards the center to his, you know, his inner circle that was, you know, current then, at, you know, presently at Fox. And so I, you know, I started sort of from the periphery and, you know, over just months of um, of reporting was able to gain, you know, the trust of of sources who led me to better sources, and you know, basically by the end, I had you know everyone um, on the you know the on the inside um, talking to me, and I think partly Ailes's um, um, reaction to my reporting and his paranoia, you know, motivated some sources to be like, well, this guy is you know he's losing his mind, and you know he's definitely hiding something, and so I'm gonna you know help this reporter, but uh, it's definitely the hardest uh, assignment of my. Of my career, but ultimately, you know, as you know, as of covering, you know, Twitter and any of these these companies that have like almost like a cult like um, office culture, um, it's once you get on the inside, it's super satisfying to to reveal that because they they pride themselves on being you know completely closed off from the world.
1: So one of the things that I find really interesting about Roger Ailes is, I mean, from the show, is that he just kind of comes across as this. There there are moments where you're kind of – he has this duality where he, he clearly cares about America and he cares about the ideals of America, but he's willing – he cares about his version of what he thinks it should be, which is the conservative – you know, incredibly racist um, uh, ideal. I mean, even even in interviews, you know, where I guess he called an NBC exec a little fucking Jew prick at one point. He, um, you know, he, very, very anti-Semitic, uh, very racist towards Muslims and things like that. Do you think that at the influence that, That Fox News has had. Do you think that they were partially and Roger Ailes was partially responsible for the culture that we have in the United States today where there's there is this kind of very left versus right? There's an incredibly anti-immigrant point of view from people who support Donald Trump. Does this all go back to him?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and that's something that we spent a lot of time in the writers' room when we were um, writing the show. Um, and you know, one of the the, the main um, ideas that we wanted this show to express is that Roger Ailes created the 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 culture. He tilled the ground that allowed uh, a politician like Donald Trump to come along and and win uh, a presidential election. You know. All of the the things that we talk about today, you know, Trump's extreme rhetoric, his racism, his misogyny, um, those were staples of Roger Ailes's um, you know, political campaigns when he was a political operative in the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, as a TV uh, executive in the 90s and 2000s, like that's what Fox News, you know, broadcast to its audience. So for, you know basically 20 years before Donald Trump decided to run, for president, you had uh, a news network that you know Republicans watched religiously. You know, mainlining conspiracy theories, racism, and 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 this kind of divisive, um, you know, grievance fueled politics. And and so you know, Donald Trump is not a character in our show. We don't have an actor playing him. You know, you'll see him in later episodes on the screen, but we want you know to sort of show that what is happening inside these offices at Fox News was you know, transforming the country so that you know when Trump Trump came along, you know the Republican party was ready um, to get behind him. So one of the things
1: that you you see in the show and you report in your book and you've reported in a lot of your reporting over the years, is that um, I mean there's these there's these incredibly uncomfortable moments in the show where you see Roger Ailes, who is an incredibly overweight, pretty gross human being um, who is taking these young women who want to be on the screen and and I I don't know if you want to say sexually assaulting them I don't know how that how you know how it was played out in the in Fox at the time but there are some that are seem to be willing to do it and then there are some that are, are forced into it and things like that but you see these moments that uh, in, are incredibly uncomfortable. When you were reporting this stuff back in 2011, did you know back then that he was doing these things? And and was it always just kind of brushed under the rug by Rupert Murdoch and, and the folks at, at, um, uh, the, that are running the company?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was reporting my book, um, I had um, uh, gotten three women to go on the record to describe um, – uh, sexually, uh, abusive behavior, uh, that Ailes had done, but earlier in his career in the seventies and eighties. And I had heard, Oh wow. It goes you know, back that far. Yeah. Oh yeah. It goes all the way back to the sixties even, um, oh, wow. at his whole life, he has just been a predator. Um, you know, as, as usually the case is with, with, with guys like Harvey Weinstein and, and, and others and Bill Cosby. Um, but, you know, so I had, I, I was, these women were very brave, and they, you know, put their names to the interviews, and I put them in my book, and, you know, but I had heard stories about the women at Fox, but, you know, understandably, they were terrified um, to talk um, because of, you know, the PR uh, apparatus and the, the the attack machine that Ailes um, had set up, and so I wasn't able to get any you know, current Fox women um, to divulge the extent of his abuse. And I remember when my book was published and the New York Times, you know, did a news write-up of what was in the book and they included the allegations of, you know, that Ailes had, you know, sexually harassed women um, earlier in his career. I kept waiting for the floodgates to open because I knew that there, there were other women out there. Um, and it took, you know, Gretchen Carlson's lawsuit in uh, two years later in the summer of uh, 2016, to really open up the, the you know, that floodgate. Um, so it's, it, you know, when I was reporting the book, you know, we should also remember, there was no, you know, a Me Too movement. No, I mean, there was nothing Bill, Bill Cosby was already starting to be exposed a little bit, but um, there was no context or sort of cultural um, forum to discuss these these incredibly um, painful uh, and traumatic events. And so, um I was kind of flying blind and just, you know, and, and, and following the story. I mean, I didn't set out, you know, what, what happened after uh, Ailes went down is, um, you know, news organizations actually, you know, set out to expose men like Harvey Weinstein. Um, but, you know, the degree I covered Ailes' sexual abuse, it just came up organically in, in the process of, of researching this biography of him.
1: And so Rupert Murdoch, who, um, uh, who was the chairman and CEO of News Corp, which, of course, owned owns owned Fox News and owns Fox News. Um, he, was he fully aware of all this the whole time?
2: Well, you know, that's the, uh, I guess in the, uh, you know, in the News Corp uh, parlance, the billion dollar question, right? So he'd, Rupert would maintain no. And, you know, when they fired Ailes um, two weeks after Gresham Carlson's lawsuit, you know, they made it clear that, um, that this was happening and they weren't familiar with it. You know, I... I, I don't believe that to be true. Um I don't know definitively that Rupert was briefed on, you know, Ailes' abuse of women. Um, but you know, you just look at the evidence that we have out there, you know, um Bill O'Reilly, you know, paid um, you know, millions of dollars over the years to settle sexual harassment lawsuits with um uh with women and uh and Roger Ailes was paying, you know, millions of dollars to uh, settle claims, um, and you know the idea that that nobody would be you know questioning these payments and being like, hey, what what's going on down there? I mean, I guess partly what inoculated Ailes from you know being totally exposed is just the, how profitable Fox News became. You know, at at its peak, at Ailes's peak, Fox News was generating over a billion dollars of of profit a year, um, and it was the single most profitable division that Murdoch owned. And so in, in Rupert Murdoch's world, you know, he, the only thing fundamentally he cares about even more than conservative politics is is money. And so um, I think partly the degree to which Murdoch, you know, was kind of willfully uh, in the dark about how bad it really was was simply because he just didn't want to know. He just said, oh, this thing's making too much money. And we, exp- we, uh, we uh, explore this in the show, you know, there's, you know, constantly. Uh, the tension between Ailes and Murdoch, where Ailes goes too far, and Murdoch, you know, tries to rein him in, and Ailes threatens to quit, and and every time Murdoch caves because you know Ailes was so powerful and successful, Murdoch didn't want to rock the boat and uh, and you know kill off what was you know this basically an ATM machine um, that's spitting out money, and and so. Is there, do you think that there are, there's
1: still people at the company, at Fox, at, at News Corp, or whatever, that, that haven't been caught yet or that haven't, haven't gone down yet that, uh, um, that have done things equal to or, or, you know, close to as bad when it comes to kind of the, the sexual harassment and so on?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, they just, you know, we should point out, you know, Fox just um, settled uh, a sexual harassment claim, uh, I think, you know, as late as last week with uh, with another employee. So, you know, there are still, um, you know, people there that are part of that toxic culture. Yeah, because
1: um, – one of the things I've learned covering these companies is that usually whatever the whatever the CEO is like, the rest of the company is like, they hire people like them. They hire people of course. and yeah. then and it and it you know, one person sees one person doing something. We saw this at Uber. It was just this bro culture of you know, this very toxic bro culture where uh, you know Travis was dismissive of women, and and when somebody did something wrong, in the same respect as like Ailes and um, and, and others, uh, that they were kind of just it was like oh let's just you know move them between departments and and uh, and nothing really happens. And I'm I'm sure that you know that kind of personality like Ailes hired people with the similar personality.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, there's still uh, there are still offenders there. Um, and, you know, one thing we should point out is that when, uh, when Ailes was fired, um, Murdoch hired a um, white shoe law firm, um, Paul Weiss, to do an investigation. And, you know, pointedly, they did not do a, sort of a full investigation of the whole culture of Fox News. I mean, there was some talk, and we dramatized this in, in the series, of, you know, you know pulling the band aid off, really, you know, sweeping. Cleaning out this sort of toxic wound at the heart of the company and firing lots of people. And Murdoch was like, no. Like, they basically thought, let's get rid of Ailes. You know, that's a, you know, that will, you know, sort of do the PR damage control. And then let's just keep going because the money is so good. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I still get, you know, occasionally contacted by women at Fox who are just, you know, um distraught and upset that you know the culture fundamentally hasn't really changed um i mean i i don't think it's as bad as it was it, you know it can't be but it's not like they've done a full reckoning of uh, of all the offenders and so um that is um I think that's just a consequence of of again, like you said, the the culture set from the top. And in Murdoch's case, it becomes like the DNA of the of the. Yeah, and he just cares that it's you know, if Fox News wasn't profitable, like then they would have more reason to to maybe shake things up. But why mess with something if that is working?
1: So one of the things that I found, uh, my wife and I were watching the show, and and we we were both a little kind of taken back by. And I remember this when it happened, but it's still it's still shocking to me is how. Roger Ailes was involved in he was, you know, he's running this news network uh, that has a very clear, clear conservative bent. I mean, there's these great moments in the show where, you know the Booker's like, hey, we should get this person on. And he's and Ailes is like, he's a Democrat in in Republican clothing. No way. Like, he, there's no Democrats on. They're playing these like little games where, you know, when Sean Hannity's interviewing someone who's a Democrat, they don't put makeup on the Democrats. So it looks like they're sweating. It's like all these 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 very kind of fucked up things that they do. And but the most yeah. fucked up to me was when you see. Roger Ailes literally writing speeches after uh, 9-11 for George Bush, and then he later, you know, helping Donald Trump with his election campaign and things like that. And my wife said to me, like, how is this not illegal, which is a great question. Yeah. Um, but but how is it that no one the people didn't push back on this, that there was no that Democrats that that no one stood up to this and said, hey, this is this is fucked up. You're running a news organization that millions and millions of people are seeing, and you're writing the speeches for the stuff that you're covering? Like there has to be a line here.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's definitely one of the reasons we we put all of that. Uh, material into the series is to, you know, to show dramatically, you know, Russell Crowe, who plays Roger Ailes, does kind of a masterful job of, you know, when you see this happening on the screen, you know, I had the same reaction. I was like, this is so fucked up, um, you know, and it's not like this was totally a secret. You know, Bob Woodward revealed in um, in his, uh, one of his uh, Bush books, Bush at, uh, after war. Ni- Bush at War After 9-11, that Ailes had written private memos to George W. Bush about strategy and um, the New York Times uh, had covered it at the time. You know this. You know it's not like this was a, a secret. It's like this was out there. And for whatever reason, um, you know, either Democrats were uh, sort of too. Um, everyone was so cowed after nine eleven you know by seeming unpatriotic and again this is a testament of Ailes's genius of you know of basically convi- you know taking any crit- free framing any criticism as like being you know against the war or against the troops and i think you know in those you know early months and even the you know several years after 911 democrats were so cowed uh by george w bush that they did not want to like you know seem like they were uh, on the wrong side of the war. And it's, I think it's a total travesty. I think it's, it, I, I still think, you know, in my lifetime, you know, the Iraq war is, um, is you know, probably the most fucked up thing that has happened um, in the world. I think it, um, we're still paying for the cost, the cost of it. You know, the financial crisis, I would say, is still, you know, a, a direct result of of the Iraq, uh, war because, you know, George W. Bush, you know, to kind of distract America, we, you know, we lived on this culture of easy credit and then the housing bubble exploded. And, you know, even Donald Trump's election in some ways, you know, this sort of populist idea of like building a wall and focusing on uh, America at home was a, um, was still a reaction to the failed invasion of, of Iraq in 2003. So, Um, We really wanted the whole second episode of the series focuses on the events uh, on and and after 9-11 to show how Roger Ailes was using Fox News to become the PR mouthpiece of the Bush White House. You're listening to Inside the
1: Hive with Nick Bilton. Hey, Krista. Hi, Nick. Uh,
2: So I can't really talk about
1: one of our sponsors this week because... It might be a little weird. It might be a little weird. So why don't you take this one?
0: Okay. Um, Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. Nick told me about one of his sponsors today, and I was elated. It's called Third Love, a new bra company that uses data generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras that fit beautifully and feel amazing third love offers more than 70 sizes i want 70 on- sizes i know that's crazy that's right crazy i went online i took this quiz and two days later i had a new bra in the mail that just fits perfectly i am in awe i'm in between sizes and they have half sizes which yep, kind of
1: it's true i've seen it it's got a half size
0: he <laughs> did see the bra it's a little too much information but uh yeah it fits perfectly it blew my mind i literally went online and ordered three more and i'm not just saying that for this commercial. They're minimalist, beautiful, and I genuinely recommend you get
1: one. Tell them about the guarantee thing.
0: Oh, it's really cool. You can get your bra. You can wear it for 60 days, wash it, put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can still return it washed, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need, which, which I think is, pretty, is cool. pretty cool. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everybody. So right now they're offering Krista and Nick's whoa, listeners. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. Nick's listeners.
0: Krista, next listeners, let's be honest. Okay, keep going, keep going. 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash hive now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% Wait, off your- what
1: was that website? That's
0: thirdlove.com slash hive for 15% off today.
1: Thirdlove.com slash hive for 15% off today. I am going to get some new bras right now.
0: Well, I think you should get them from me.
2: It might be. Okay, yeah. that would be awkward. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. When you were
1: working on the show, um, are there? I mean, you know, with all these shows, there are moments that are dramatized and, course, and fictionalized. Yeah. Uh, are there are there moments that that are not that that are like the most shocking to you? What What are those?
2: Um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, in in the writers' room when we were um, when we were um, outlining the show, you know, we had. Conversations about, of course, as you say, like when you're dramatizing um, uh, nonfiction, you have to compress things for time, and you know every time we did, sort of, we deviated from the, you know, the literal historical record. You know, we would at least talk about, we would have a conscious conversation about the reasons why we were doing it, um, and uh, I mean, you know, one thing that's you know shocking to me is. Um, there's a uh, there's a scene at the—I uh, won't sort of give it all away, but there's a scene in the second episode where, because Ailes became so paranoid um, that, uh, you know, that people would find out that he was scripting the White House's talking points, he would go to a phone booth in Times Square and call Dick Cheney's office um, because, you know, it's an untraceable number. And, like, just the, the sort of the, the absurdity of that and this kind of— um, th- it's both sort of comical, but also terrifying that there is this kind of like underworld of like right-wing politicians who are having these secret conversations that are shaping world events. That to me was, that's something I didn't, I didn't put in my book. Because um, I didn't have it fully reported at the time, but that came up as we were working on the show. And so I was like, we have to put that in um, just because it's an incredibly uh, vivid scene of this kind of, you know, overweight Roger Ailes waddling through Times Square and then like squeezing into a phone booth to call Dick Cheney. So when I look at the when I look at Roger Ailes and I look at the people
1: at Fox um they're, they are not Donald Trump people, right? Uh, they are. They don't come across as the kind of people that would, you know, they have very conservative ideals. And and why is it that Ailes, towards the end before he is ousted, um, decides that, or right around the time he's ousted, um, uh, fired? It was fired or quit?
2: Well, I mean, I think the technical. The legal uh, thing was a resignation because he wanted to get his. Uh, they did a severance deal where he got his forty million dollar payout, mm-hmm. but it was clear. I mean, they shut off his um, his security. He couldn't get into the building. They locked him out. I mean, he was fired. You know, in any kind of conversational sense. So,
1: so right, uh, and I want to get to that a little bit more in a, in a minute. But right, um, right when that's happening, he's helping Donald Trump. And is it just? Yeah. Is it? Is, am I missing something? Where I think to myself, like, okay. I saw, you know, I watched the 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 um, Trump's announcement this week um, that you know he's running for twenty twenty, and you know one of the pictures that kind of st- stands out in my mind is him next to his wife and Mike Pence next to his wife, and I can't imagine mm-hmm. that Mike Pence's wife enjoys being in the in the company of Donald Trump. Like, and and I say this, it's like okay, let's just take for a minute the fact that these people are what they say they are, that they are conservative, religious, God fearing. Uh, people, you—how mm-hmm. is it that you can you can be in the presence of Donald Trump and 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 help him get to the point that he's getting to when you know that mm-hmm. he is none of those things? And I and the, and th- that question kind of goes to Roger Ailes and the people at Fox. Is it just that they are like some of them are hate immigrants or you know are so obsessed with conservatism that they're willing to do to to get on any horse that wants to go there?
2: Yeah. So I mean, in Ailes's case you know, his attraction to Trump was, you know, ratings, that, you know, Trump was so um, so good at television and, um, you know, was talking the language of, of Fox News talking heads. And so, you know, Ailes was basically, Trump proved the theory that, as Ailes said um, shortly after helping Richard Nixon get elected back in 68, you know, Ailes gave an interview where he said, and this is like incredibly, you know, chilling how prescient he was, but he said, um, television will one day replace the political party uh, as the mass organizer of America. And that's, you know, 50 years later, that's like undeniably true, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, who was not, you know, at one point he was a Democrat. Then he became a Republican. But what he was, he was an independent entire,
1: in there too for a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know what he was throughout all of that was as a was a TV star, and so um, I think for Ailes the attraction was uh, was was television. In the case of Pence and all the other you know Republicans like Mitch McConnell, you know we've talked about this on other on other podcasts. You know they're just so craven um, and in you know, sort of power. Uh, power mad that um you know they got their tax cuts right and you know they're getting you know on a sort of a policy level um basically everything they've they've wanted um and so they're just willing to you know to lay do, down for to, to, for yeah. Trump even though they hate him you know privately they all just you know think he's insane but that to me is also part of what's so um so disheartening about this the culture we live in was that you know, it's this ends justify the the means um, mentality where they're willing to work with a uh, a lunatic like Donald Trump just so they can get lower tax rates.
1: So right now we're about to enter 2020, and um, you've you've seen that there's this still the same thing that was going on that's going that was going on in the show during 9 11. It's like CNN versus Fox News versus MSNBC, and and. One thing that happens after Ailes leaves is that the the ratings are still there. I mean, there's a moment, you know, during the the kind of potential impeachment hearings that may come up, you know, where and during the Russian investigation with Mueller, where MSNBC starts to pull ahead, but but it's you know it's still Fox News is still incredibly successful. It's still the number one news network a lot of the times. Do you think this? This is a two part question. One is. Um, is Fox here to stay forever? And and the second part is when it comes to the uh, the new the, the coming up the coming election, is it going to back uh, Donald Trump no matter what?
2: Yeah, so um you know so the first part, I think as long as cable news is, you know, a viable uh, medium, both you know, economically and uh and editorially, I think like Fox News is here to stay. Um, you know, the machine that Ailes built um, is so so well oiled at this point. You know, and I actually I was wrong. You know, when I when when he was fired, I, you know, talked about I told people that I thought, you know, it might be like North Korea after like the you know the Kim Jong-un regime collapses, like just a complete power vacuum and chaos, and, and actually the opposite was true, is that, you know, by the time Ailes was ousted, you know, he had so well tr- sort of trained everyone that the place was just, you know, running on autopilot, and um, and so that's what's happened during the Donald Trump era, is that, you know, the audience loves Donald Trump, and if you produce a show on Fox News and you say nice stuff about Donald Trump, like, you're going to get the eyeballs. It's not, um, it's unfortunately, or I guess fortunately for them, not that that difficult um, but you know the degree to which will Fox change? You know I think it's at this point kind of an actuarial game. I mean the the the, the two to four million people that watch Fox News on a regular basis are such diehard Donald Trump um, supporters. In fact, on my way over here this morning, I had when I was having coffee, I just had Fox and Friends on. I occasionally watch it just to like you know educate myself, and um, they were interviewing. I'm so sorry a, a, that you have to do that. They were interviewing a, uh, a woman at a Florida diner uh, who had attended Trump's rally last night in Orlando, and she, uh, the, the interviewer said, so, you know, what do you like about Donald Trump? And she said, well, you know, God, um, God chose Donald Trump to be the president, and I'm going to be with him forever. I mean, when you, when you have people like that— Oh, so it was—so
1: God didn't choose Obama to be president, only Donald Trump. I get I it so. now. Thank yeah. you for explaining yeah. that.
2: So when you're dealing with people like that, I mean, it's almost like there's just no—they're zombies. They're just gonna watch until they die. And if I guess zombies never die, so maybe Fox News never will. will but, die. but okay, be so. Watching-
1: but when so Fox, when Fox sold, um, you know the the uh, most of its media empire to Disney, uh, yeah. the 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 who the the whole system was kind of broken up, and the sons were put in charge of things. Who runs Fox now, and how how does it work? Like, is, is Murdoch still involved, or the sons still involved? Mm-hmm. Like, what's how does it so, set up now?
2: Yeah, so officially, Lachlan Murdoch um, runs. You know, he's the CEO of the parent, the much smaller parent company of Fox News, uh, Fox Corp. That has uh, the broadcast network, some sports programming, and uh, it's a you know much smaller media company. Uh, Fox News is you know is clearly the biggest asset they own. Um, you know, so Lachlan and I've written about this. His politics are you know kind of libertarian, conservative. Um, you know, he's Australian. Australians are you know probably the closest to America in, in terms of being a center right, sort of a conservative culture. Um, you know, more of a frontier like Wild West culture. Um, so you know, Lachlan's ideologically is you know much more in line with Fox News than his younger brother James, who you know um, has let everyone know. And there was that you know um, New York Times Magazine cover story a few months back that was you know clearly all the the Murdoch siblings cooperated, and there was you know anecdote after anecdote in that in that piece about how James was horrified by Fox. Um, So, you know, the fact that James has basically been ousted from the Murdoch Empire, he's now off, you know, investing his own money, you know, means I don't think Fox News is going to change ideologically anytime soon, if at all. So Um, do the brothers—do the brothers—are they friends, the brothers? Do they get along? Are they, you know— No, you know, I think they're, um, you know, they they see each other at family events, but no, it's— it's a, you know, very strained relationship. I mean, it's, and, uh, you know, Lachlan uh, was, you know, always the favorite son of Rupert, um, loved newspapers like like his father. James was the, you know, the one who, um, you know, wanted to be CEO the most but never could get the respect of, of his father. So, you know, that breeds a lot of resentment between between the brothers. Um, and so, um, you know, there was this one, one moment in, uh, in the times piece, I think the best anecdote that I, um, that I, uh, um, remember was, you know, basically, uh, James was told that, um, that he's not going to be, you know, he's basically out, like once this Disney deal happens and he, um, you know, he just threatens to, to quit and walk out of the lunch right there. So, you know, it's, you know, mixing corporate politics and family politics is <laughs> never easy. And I think in this family, um, you know, now it's, I think it will be easier going forward because James is is basically out entirely. So I have a theory that um, when it comes to
1: media, it's a lot like, um, uh, you know, electricity or anything like that. There's, a, there's a, a finite amount of attention, there's a finite amount of power, and mm-hmm. it is often redistributed um, equally. So, you know, uh, for example Fox News reaches 94 million ho- US households um, and in uh, those the same households that get CNN and other things like that and they you you know the people that tune into these shows um, or pick up these newspapers or what, read these blogs and so on they spend a certain amount of time consuming this content and uh, and it's It doesn't necessarily grow that much, maybe a little bit here and there, depending on what's going on in the news cycle. And so one thing that I think happened in... Just, just my theory and the reporting I've done is, you know, in in the Obama era, one of the things Obama did was he was trying to reach a lot of young people during the healthcare um, debates that were going on, and so he started to go on and started to talk to a lot of blogs and smaller uh, smaller outlets. He did, you know, even between two ferns
2: with uh, Zach Galifianakis, or, like, or he talked to. I remember he did this radio interview with a DJ who's known as the Pimp with the Limp. <clears throat> We should have the pimp with the limp on this show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe I
1: should just become the pimp with the limp. Um, anyway, so what it did, what what that did, and that and in, in that changing cycle was it kind of redistributed the power that these news outlets had. So BuzzFeed started to um, uh, started to get more influence. You start to see kind of influence change, and it also happened on the conservative side where you had, you know people that were starting these new conservative outlets like Ben Shapiro and all these different things. So the question I have is, as we kind of look forward to this next news cycle that's coming around around 2020, and um, is Fox going to be as influential or is it going to find itself in the same situation that the more liberal news outlets um, and the more left-leaning ones Uh, We're up against in 2016, where there was kind of this this like diaspora of uh, of of different outlets that people were tuning into with different viewpoints that were kind of all affecting each other differently.
2: Yeah, um, I think the my sense is that um, you know if you look back to 2016, there was a time early in the Republican primary where um, Fox was actually. Um, not helpful to Donald Trump. Um, the network was stocked with a lot of kind of like country club Republicans like George Will and Rich Lowry and Bill Kristol and there was a lot of never-Trumpers at Fox and... Um, and so what that did is it created a, an opportunity for you know websites like um, like Breitbart, obviously, probably most famously, yeah. to rise up and really seize control of the conservative news cycle because Trump was using, you know, giving interviews to Breitbart, um, and, um, and and so um, anyway, so that kind of diminished Fox's influence, but you know, subsequently, you know. Tr- uh, fox got completely you know on on board with trump, and you know Breitbart's ratings have um uh, i'm sorry traffic Breitbart's traffic has you know cratered from their peak um and so um so yeah so I think you know as long as you know fox is in line with you know the fervent you know trump base that'll never to ditch him, I think they're good. You know, where we're seeing maybe some competition is, you know, Trump tweeted the other day that, you know, people should watch this other network called One America News that's, like, even more pro-Trump than Fox, if that if you can even imagine such a thing. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, there could be some cannibalization where, like, you know, there might be this, like, race to see who can be the most slavishly devoted to Donald Trump. But, um, but I don't see there being, like a whole audience of people who are looking for other content because Fox has decided to just, you know, stick with the formula that works, which is, you know, being the the mouthpiece of the White House. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton.
1: There's a lot of things that technology has done that could be perceived as bad for society, but I think one of the best things that has come as a result of technology is the fact that people who need help can get help wherever they are. One of our sponsors this week I'm really excited to, to present is called BetterHelp, um, and it's an online counseling tool that's there for you no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what kind of help you need. You can connect with professional counselors in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can get help on your own time at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions with these people. You can chat over text with a therapist. It's really just kind of the dream scenario for someone who is going through a really tough time, whether it's depression or stress, anxiety, a relationship problem, sleeping trauma, anger, LGBT issues, you name it. They are there to help you. Uh, Anything you share is completely confidential, as it is with any therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There's over 3,000 licensed therapists uh, across 50 states on BetterHelp. Um, It's available worldwide you can schedule these amazing video sessions and phone sessions either weekly or on the fly when you need them. Uh, it's It's secure, convenient. It's really an amazing, amazing service. It's one of those experiences where I look at technology and I say, okay, this is the way it was meant to be. It was meant to help people and BetterHelp is doing that. Best of all, it's completely affordable, and we're doing a special today, uh, Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton listeners will get 10% off their first month with the discount code HIVE, that's H-I-V-E. Uh, once again, you can get 10% off your first month with the discount code HIVE. Uh, what do you need to do to get started? All you need to do is go to betterhelp.com slash HIVE, that's B-E-T-T-E-R. Help. dot slash hive. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and they will match you with the perfect counselor that you'll love. Once again, betterhelp.com slash hive. Get ten percent off your first month. When you kind of watch the show, sometimes, and um, and I and I will say that I feel this not just about Fox, but I sometimes feel this about MSNBC too. I uh, and and CNN. I. I, you know, I watch these things, and I think that you know the concept of what media was supposed to be, which was kind of informing the people and so on, um, has been completely perverted. I I think that any any institute and look, I do it too. We're doing this on the show right now. We're ragging on Fox for the last forty minutes, but but I I do wonder if if the world would be a better place if um, if there were. Some rules and regulations around what the media could and couldn't do. If there was like, or, or if there was some line around, you know, around being an opinion outlet versus an actual, an actual news outlet. And and I say this with the context of I I don't believe that it is humanly possible for a journalist, no matter where you work, to not have an opinion. You you cannot cover things like, you know, kids separated from their parents at the border and not. And not feel something in one way or another, um, and I think that you know the question I guess I have is Fox leaned into it, right? Should should we rather than there's there's one world where you're like okay, well you can't have an opinion if you're a news outlet, and um, uh, but there's another world where we say you know what, let's just say it, like let's just say we are a left wing newspaper or we are a right wing news outlet or and just kind of own it. Do you think that that's something that that there should be something that changes around the way that things are presented because I've spent time in the south, I've spent time in the midwest. I you know, I I've, I've t- interviewed people who are diehard Fox and Trump fans and and they don't see it as opinion, they see it as fact and they see it as news and they see it as being fair and balanced. And the yeah. same
2: with folks on the left that the the you know, well because, you know, I, I you know, that was part of Ailes' genius is he understood that media has a lot more power if it is perceived as reflecting the reality of the world rather than, you know, uh, uh, sort of a partisan worldview. And, you know, in England, in the UK, um, you know, they have an avowedly partisan media. Newspapers are, you know, strictly, you know, for one side or the other. Um, And there's just, you know, a much stronger partisan um, ownership of, you know, newspapers, um, like the Daily Mail will say we're you know right wing you know pro Brexit and um, and the Guardian will say we're you know liberal um, for you know against Brexit. So like you in the UK there's much more transparency here. You know I think Americans like to feel like well I'm not I'm not partisan I'm just you know I'm just right. And so whether it's you know Fox um, you know uh, the whole fair and balanced. Slogan was Ailes's genius as saying, "Like we're giving to you the 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 real story. We're giving you both sides, even when in reality he was scripting the news so that the conservative view always won um, won the debate." So I yeah I agree. I mean I think you know um, I'm I'm pretty transparent in my own reporting. I mean I don't hide. How I feel about the subjects I cover, I think you can have a part. I think you can have a world view and still have you know standards of fairness and um and and uh and integrity um, while not hiding you know the fact of how you feel about things. I mean, I think in some ways, it's like um it's like a lawyer, right? Like a l- lawyers have you know opinions about all sorts of issues, but when they take on a case, you know, because they're a member of a bar association, like their duty is to to follow you know the the stand the rigors of their profession and they they have to act honorably and i think that can be the same with journalists while at the same time like i would never i've never subscribed to the on the one hand on the other hand kind of coverage i mean like it's bullshit like you know you're not you're not informing anyone if you're just saying like well here's two things and I don't really know what to think about it like you should do enough reporting so about for me at least by the time I write something I have a very you know clear point of view of how I feel about it and you know as long as I'm fair and transparent with um with my ideas I feel like you know readers respond to that they might hate what I write and criticize it but they're not um but they're not. Uh, I'm not deluding them that it's like some voice of God that is disconnected from the things that we're covering.
1: Okay, so since you're going to give me your opinion on things, I want to kind of go through some folks that that uh, that are at Fox and and get your take on them. Um, uh, is Tucker Carlson a good guy or a bad guy?
2: A smart guy? Like, what's what's his what's his deal? So Tucker is he's a fascinating subject, you know, I I feel like there should be like, I don't know if he would ever cooperate for one, because he's probably, you know, he gets so much, you know, criticism on Twitter. But like, I feel like if you could ever get like him to do a really candid, long profile, um, because, you know, if you look at where he came from, you know, he used to be uh, a very talented magazine writer. I mean, he wrote for GQ, Esquire, I think he even wrote for The New Republic, uh, George magazine and then he was you know the longtime host of crossfire which he was like the country club Republican with the bow tie and now he's like the you know in some ways he did this monologue the other night um, where um, you know he was basically endorsing Elizabeth Warren's economic platform as like you know the most populist and pro-american uh even more so than Donald Trump so I just think Intellectually, his journey is fascinating. I, I think Tucker, the best way to think about him is that he is a survivor. I mean, he's worked at all three news networks. He started at CNN, went to MSNBC, and now he's now he's at Fox. I think he's incredibly savvy about understanding how to define um, a media niche and create an audience. Um, And you know, at Fox, he's created the audience as kind of the most um, the, the the most pro um populist um kind of working class cr- cr- critic of of the Republican party and well obviously Democrats too but he's now like you know this 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 populist avatar of the you know the the lost white working man and um so that's how I think about him. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're asking me, does he truly believe these things or not? I don't know what's in his heart, but I just know that he is savvy enough to reinvent himself so that he has, you know, he gets ratings. And, you know, there, if you sort of, if in cable news, if you're not, you know, if you're not uh, reaching your audience, you know, they get those ratings, you know, minute to minute. They know when the audience tunes out, you're dead. So <laughs> that's how I think about him is almost the cynical um, um, student of of media who understands what he needed to do to survive. All right, Laura Ingram, true S- believer for sure. Um, like true
1: conservative believer, like tr-
2: true conservative. Um, um, you know, right wing uh, socialist. I mean, uh, social conservative. Um, and you know, she's the most. She's dabbled sort of the most in white nationalism of the. Um, of the Fox News primetime host, and there's been boycotts of her show um, from advertisers. Um, I mean, she's she's hardcore, um, you know. And I don't. It's not an act. I think she you know She genuinely, from the few conversations I've had with her. Um, uh, you know, at events and stuff, she's a true believer. So the one person that I can't understand is Chris Wallace. So Chris,
1: I think he just comes across as like a straight up, really impressive reporter who asks really smart questions. He's, you know, I've seen him interview, we've all watched him interview people and uh, on conservatives and ask the kind of questions that you would imagine someone who was fair and balanced would ask. So the question I have about him is, is he kind of just like the real reporter there? And if so... Why would he be at Fox and not kind of go to like an ABC or an NBC or something like that where he used to work um, to not be seen as being part of a uh, an institution that is bent on, you know, getting its viewpoint across uh, its conservative viewpoint across?
2: Yeah. So, you know, like now I'm just thinking, I'm putting my like my screenwriter hat on a little bit and thinking about, you know, Chris Wallace as like a, as a dramatic character. You know, this is a guy who's who's the son of, you know, probably the most legendary newsman of his generation, or one of, you know, Mike Wallace. And, you know, you, you go into the same profession as your father, and you're you know nowhere near um, as as accomplished. Um, and in fact, you know, Hannity and, and Chris Wallace have had epic feuds at Fox. And someone told me how Hannity once emailed Chris Wallace to basically be like, the only reason you're in this business is because of your daddy. Um, so anyways, I, my read on Chris Wallace is that he has, um, a, a you know, giant chip on his shoulder. He's, you know, filled with his own resentments. And, you know, at Fox, he can be the big fish, right? He's the, like, you know, the capital J journalist at Fox where he's, um you know, he's considered the serious man, where if he went to CBS or NBC or ABC, you know, he would just be, you know, any one of the other veteran correspondents. And so, you know, I think at Fox, it gives him a platform and a visibility because he's not, um you know, Cut from the same right-wing mold as the other hosts, um, that I think keeps him there. Not to mention the fact that Roger Ailes, you know, was famous for paying. The, the you know, the the journalists at Fox that he needed, you know, because you need enough window dressing to, to make the fair and balanced argument. So, you know, Chris Wallace's contract, I'm sure, far exceeds whatever he would make at another network. I mean, to put it in perspective, Shepard Smith, who hosts one hour of TV, daytime cable TV a day, which is the least profitable part of um of the, the cable news lineup, is making, you know, north of $10 million a year. Jeez. Um and, and that's because, you know, Fox News would put Shep Smith, you know, out there, make him do interviews and use him as the like the face of like fo- as, you know, the Fox journalist. And so he had a lot of value to the network um, as a marketing or a PR tool rather than um, rather than the actual contributions he was making to the lineup. Um, so I think Wallace falls into that camp. And so both in terms of the money he makes and the visibility he has. Um, that's my sense of why he stays at Fox. All right, so we uh,
1: we we have a little bit of time left before we have to run. So I I want to ask just a few more questions, and we'll let you go. Um, last person I'm going to ask about before we get back to Roger Ailes is Rupert Murdoch. Do you think mm-hmm. that Rupert and you know I know. I've met him before, I've no people that have spent quite a bit of time with him and have talked about him extensively, and they say he's not a bad guy, and that, you know, he just has these kind of viewpoints and whatnot. I find that hard to believe, honestly. Like, do you think that he has any, that, that sometimes he goes to bed at night and thinks to himself, like, holy shit, like, I really helped fuck up this country, or does he just think to himself, like, I'm Rupert Murdoch, and I'm the most amazing person that's ever lived, and so be it. I mean, what...
2: Yeah, no, I think I think it's the latter. Um, I, I just recently saw the play Inc. Um, uh, here in New York. That's um, based on uh, Murdoch's entry um, into uh, the London tabloid uh, world in the late '60s, um, and uh, and just sort of how he uh, completely upended British society and introduced, you know, a level of coarseness to the to the culture that. Uh, hadn't existed before, and, you know, and as portrayed in that play, and it sort of fits with everything I've heard about him, I mean, he is very, just a, a real cold, cold fish. I mean, he he cares about money, power, access, um, you know, I'm sure he, you know, he loves his his family, all uh, well, even that, I mean, he's always, you know, put his company ahead of his family and the way he pitted his two sons uh, against each other to, to fight for the throne. So, I I don't think there is any dark night of the soul um uh <laughs> with Rupert Murdoch and uh I you know I think the fact you just look at his relationship with Trump I mean during the campaign it's been widely reported he he called Trump a buffoon and a moron and all of that and now you know he sucks up to Trump and relishes his like you know regular phone calls with Trump um and and uh, the New York Post and Fox continue to support him so Murdoch, uh that kind of the he's basically a soulless person. Um and that has given us uh helped give us the world that Donald Trump is president.
1: Is he arguably one of the had the most influence in in society globally given his reach in all I mean, he was also, you know, he started the tabloid wars in uh in New York during The Son of Sam. Like he, you know, yeah, the took, post, push, yeah. pushed no, journalism Has he had
2: the most impact, you think, out of anyone? Yeah, I think without question. You know, he, um, you know, his career traced the the arc of the sort of the the, the rise of mass media at, between newspapers and television. Um, and he was the, you know, the dominant force in both of those spheres. Um, you know, now, and you've written extensively about this, you know, of course, you know, for our, for this generation, it will be people like, you know, uh, uh, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and um, and the social media media. Um, the social media titans will be seen as, like, the Rupert Murdochs of their day. But in terms of, like, you know, the late 20th century and early 21st century, without question, I think Rupert Murdoch single-handedly, you know, played the biggest role around the world in um, in shaping our politics.
1: Okay, so now let's get to the end of Roger Ailes. <clears throat> so Roger, uh, he, uh, you know, people come out, he gets uh actually the sexual harassment that he has done over the years actually finally brings him down he doesn't seem like the kind of person who goes down lightly um mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how you portrayed in the show and how it really went down and um and what how he reacted to it in in you know yeah. behind the scenes
2: well so um so our show opens the the first episode opens with him lying dead um, in the, the floor of his bathroom. Um, he had slipped And this is, you know, this is based on, on true events. He slipped and fell in the bathroom and, um, you know, hit his head and, and, and died. Um, and so we, you know, we start on his death and, you know, we then we drop back to the beginning of the launch of Fox news, but you know, as the series progresses and it, it's the final episode is his fight for survival. And as I've reported extensively in, you know, in New York magazine, um, he waged a campaign to just dis- try to discredit all of his accusers um, and uh, was trying to make appeals to Murdoch that Fox would implode without him. And Ailes was leaking things like, um, you know, 50 Fox um, anchors are going to walk out the door with him. Um, to try to put pressure on Murdoch, you know, not to fire him. So, you know, we, we joked in the writers' room that the, um, you know, Ailes's last two weeks at Fox was very similar to, um, <laughs> to what was uh, the the, the uh, German movie um, Downfall, uh, that was, you know, I think won the Academy Award for you know showing Hitler's final final days in the bunker <laughs> and being kind of, you know, raging and fighting against the the. Um, you know, the door the, the doors were closing on him and he was, you know, fighting and denying reality and and uh and so that really was Ailes' MO as well, is that he did not want to go down quietly. And in fact, even after he went down, he was plotting his revenge. I mean, he was gonna team up with Trump if Trump lost the election and launch his own um news network. And I had recently heard um that uh, actually, you know, right around the time that Ailes died, he had had a uh, a secret meeting set up with Peter Thiel, um, and Thiel was um, interested in possibly bankrolling another right wing cable news network that Ailes was going to possibly uh, start. And so, even up to his death, he was, you know, trying to um, get the the band back together and and have another act. So, so um, do you think that when he is he I
1: always love to try to imagine what goes through these vile people's heads at the end. Um, and uh, and I th- my theory on Trump is that, you know, all that Trump ever has cared about is- has been attention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's... That's all he has cared about is the number of people. No, I agree. That, I think
2: the worst thing, I think the the the, the way the media, the, the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to Trump is that he's ignored. Which will
1: eventually, if, if God willing, he like lives to 98 or 100 and, uh, and there are other presidents and like he tweets something that doesn't get picked up or there's no more Twitter, please God, or, you know, something like that happens. Like that will be the worst, The the final years of his life when he is, he is not he doesn't walk into a room and and 100,000 people cheer for him is going mm-hmm. to be it's going to be it's going to be hell for him and and I that's the thing that kind of pushes me through this chaos you know knowing that that's going to be the end result for him for Ailes, was he just laying there in palm beach you know just uh, just so depressed that he was no longer in charge and like clicking through the news channels and yelling at fox news because they weren't doing
2: what he would have done Uh, was the end for him miserable? Yeah, I I think it was. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's always a level of stagecraft with Ailes. So, you know, the few journalists that talked to him during, you know, those last months, you know, he was very canny about projecting somebody who didn't have a care in the world. Um, And uh, so there was, you know, definitely he was trying to present um, uh, somebody who was, you know, enjoying his, you know, semi-retirement. But the truth is that, he could not stand being, you know, out of the game, and uh, he was very uh, upset that Trump, you know, basically once he won the election, kind of cut him out, um, and uh, and was you know trying to get back in. As I had said, you know, scheduling that meeting with uh, with Teal um, to discuss starting a news network. So um, you know, I think with these guys, you know, Nick, my read on guys like Ailes and Trump, and I'm sure Weinstein, and is the sort of s- the, you cannot underestimate underestimate the level of victimhood these guys feel. They've, you know, they've lived in a world where they have never had accountability. Um, and, you know, when they finally have a reckoning, you know, at the end of their life, they, they just, it does not fit their mental architecture that they could somehow be wrong. And so they just think that their downfall was the result of their enemies or the liberal media or, you know, or people who are lying. I mean, Ailes was continuing to lie, even even though Gretchen Carlson tape-recorded him sexually harassing her. I mean, there was incontrovertible evidence that she showed, you know, News Corp to get her settlement. Like, Ailes was denying, like, reality. And I think Trump's the same way. I mean, Trump, if he's ever, you know, held accountable Uh, For his corruption, he will just say that it's, you know, the deep state conspiracy. So I think that's how guys like them, you know, they get out of bed in the morning, because if they actually took responsibility for, for their behavior, I mean, they'd probably all commit suicide. Um, So that's my, that's my, uh, that's been my take on, on the Ailes, Trump, Weinstein psychology.
1: All right. Well, it has been a fascinating conversation. The show is incredible. Tell everyone where they can tune in and when, and, uh, and we'll have to have you back on after I watch the finale to kind of, uh, to hear how it all went down.
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the loudest voice, um, starring, uh, Russell Crowe, Sienna Miller, Naomi Watts, Seth McFarland and others, uh, premieres, uh, Sunday, June 30th on Showtime and it runs for, um, seven, uh, Sundays, uh, this summer. So, um, Would love uh, any feedback from folks. Uh, Enjoy the show. All
1: right. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, Gabe. This has been another fascinating conversation, and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks to my guest today, Gabe Sherman. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. And let's be honest, they're all pretty great. You can find these on ApplePodcastRadio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thank you most of all to my sponsors this week, Third Love and BetterHelp.
2: Please
1: support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week.
2: I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's
1: nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.